Hi, I'm Jennifer Ackerman Haywood, and you're listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast. This show is all about art, craft, and creativity, and I produce it weekly in the hope that it will help all of us live long and crafty lives. If you've ever considered launching your own podcast or you want to know more about what goes on behind the scenes, you're in luck. This week, Crafty Pod producer Diane Gillen, a.k.a. Sister Diane, and I are going to chat about what goes in to creating a Crafty Podcast. We're coming at this from two pretty different perspectives. She's a 39-year-old single woman, and I'm a 29-year-old married mother of two girls, a 5-month-old and a 2-year-old. We both have day jobs and love to craft. Diane leads the Church of Craft in Portland, Oregon, and has been producing Crafty Pod for about a year. I launched Craft Sanity just three months ago. To highlight the differences between our shows, we both recorded a roughly two-hour phone conversation about podcasting, and each have produced shows in our own styles using the same material. So check out Crafty Pod episode 24 to compare the different ways we approach podcasting. Besides providing some tips and inspiration to help you craft your own podcast, this episode will also give you a chance to get to know Diane and learn more about all the crafty goodness she creates in the world. You'll also find out why she calls herself Sister Diane. You can find links to all Diane's creative ventures at craftsanity.com, so be sure to check those out after the show. And as a special treat, Diane has agreed to share the instructions for making her three glue magnets, one of the projects featured in her Crafty Pond zine. So you'll find that on the website, too. All right, so let's get on with the show. Why don't you go ahead and, and start us off? Okay, well, sure, I'll talk about Crafty Pod, and then, and then I'd love to hear about Craft Sanity. I started Crafty Pod just about one year ago. We'll celebrate the first birthday in May. Um, it's actually my second podcast. I started a podcast called Spinster Spin last March, which uh, was an offshoot of a web scene I had been running for about a year, aimed at women who ha- have pursued life paths other than getting married or having children. And I loved podcasting, just was having so much fun with the Spinster Spin show. And, you know, one of those ideas popped in my head one day. You know, the ones that you just, you can't walk away from. They just bug you until you give in. Oh, yeah. Yep. And the idea was, you know, there isn't any podcast about crafting right now, so you really ought to start one. So, yeah, Crafty Pod is, the tagline for the show is uh, the homemade podcast that's all about making stuff. Sometimes it involves interviews with people in the crafty universe, and sometimes it involves the history of different crafts, and sometimes I give project tutorials or resources I think are cool. It's kind of just a big crafty geek fest. (laughs) (laughs) So tell us now about Craft Sanity, because you actually have a a really beautiful philosophy, I think, behind your show. Well, basically, and thank you so much for saying that. I really really appreciate that. Um, Craft Sanity has been basically on my mind. I mean, it's my my approach to life, basically. I found that after I graduated from college, um, I got a job. I basically got a job and got married um, all inside of, and graduated from, and from college all in about a month's time, month and a half. So I had a lot of change going on in my life and um, just found that I also had a lot of extra time when I was, you know, working and I'd come home and there was no homework, you know, there's a lot of extra time on my hands and um, I moved across the state, I'm from Metro Detroit and so my family, friends, um, you know, I was basically in a new place, um, worked opposite shifts, Um, my husband and I were on different shifts and um, didn't see each other a whole lot, so I was, instead of going stir crazy with, you know, all this time in a city I wasn't familiar with, I threw myself into art and crafts, and I'd always loved crafts and art, but um, it became kind of this, you know, outlet for me, and I was also covering crime and violence for the newspaper that I worked for here in town, and kind of needed an outlet, because I was covering a lot of negative stuff, people, young people dying, uh, accidents, all kinds of just, you know, kind of, well, terrible news, really, and I found that, you know, some reporters drink, um, that was the old historical stereotype, um, and I decided I didn't want my life to uh, spiral into ruin, you know, <laughs> so I started just, I I took a weaving class and ended up buying a loom, and then that loom led to another loom, kind of gave birth to a second loom, and then um, had us got a spinning wheel, and pretty much just threw myself into 
every craft I heard about, I wanted to try, and um, got quite a, quite a pretty good at weaving. I was making chenille scarves and uh, wool blankets and all kinds of stuff, anything I could think of on my loom, and did some art shows. Um, well, actually, art is probably too strong. I should probably say craft shows because I was never in a gallery or anything like that. Um, but I would, you know, do some try to sell some of my work, and it was pretty successful. But then what I found is that even that can get to an extreme where people will request, "Oh, can you get me a purple, purple and green rug?" And I need it by next week, and didn't fully appreciate. You know, I was working full time, and and I so that kind of started to get away from me a little bit. Where having a side business was a little nuts. So the whole thing where I had to kind of dial it back and be like, okay, I need to, I mean, this is getting insane. You know, I was doing this for relaxation and now it's out of control. <laughs> so I've kind of learned through this whole process, and this is probably a much longer response than you ever <laughs> intended for, but um, <laughs> but I I found that throughout my, my life, you know, if you go through a, a period of your life that's, you know, stressful or uh, co- to cope with you know, maybe a stressful job or, you know, I've, I've had other, you know, issues in my life where I felt like, okay, I need to have some kind of outlet that's positive. So if people make me mad, um, instead of, you know, saying, how is it on punching a wall or something, I say, all right, all right, that's fine, you know, make me mad. And I come home and I do a project. (laughs) And I'm thinking, it's my way of kind of screaming beauty. And instead of, you know, getting caught up in, just negative energy. I try to, as much as possible, turn that into something positive and use it as motivation because I totally believe in karma. <laughs> and I think that if you treat people nice, um, that will eventually come back to you. And if you treat people horribly, <laughs> that comes back to you too. So I'm thinking if my way of coping is to do something, try to do something creative, um, and that doesn't always work. I mean, I am just um, as prone to a fit of anger as anybody else. But um, And I don't, if someone cuts me off in traffic, I don't like wave... Um, a doily out the window or anything like that. But, but um, you know, I, I try to refrain from um, doing anything that's, you know, just screaming and yelling at people and, and just trying to um, turn turn into a positive energy. So Craft Sanity came in. I bought the domain name, of oh, geez, probably two years ago, and I was a graduate student in an English program because I decided, I got the idea, of course, that I, I didn't have enough on my plate. Um, <laughs> so I was going to go back to school and get a master's degree in English and um, because I love writing. And I thought, well, I maybe want to teach at some point. So I went back to school. And while I was in school, I decided, you know, I really like to do something on the web, connect with other artists and crafters. And But I had no idea what I was going to do. I just thought, that'd be a good idea, you know. And I had no idea because my husband kept asking me, well, what is your content? And I'd be like, oh, you know, and I really didn't have any idea what I was going to do. But I still insisted that I needed to buy the domain name. And then um, I held that for a year. And I had one lame thing, like this diatribe that I wrote about what the site was going to be and didn't do anything with it. So if anyone looked at it, which probably five people did on accident, if they saw it somehow through Google or something, um, it would, nothing, nothing materialized. So I was starting to think, feel like kind of a, an idiot because I'm thinking, you know, I had to buy this domain and it was this really important thing and then I didn't do anything. So I decided, okay, I'm going to wait till I finish my program. Um, and I finished my program in November and I decided that I wanted to really get into, really do something with it finally. And um, I started, I didn't listen to a podcast, and this is ridiculous, but I didn't listen to a podcast even until I'd say um, December. My husband had been listening to him for a while and he finally played part of one for me, and I'm like, hey, that's really cool. I'm like, how do people do that? And he's telling me a little bit about it, and I'm like, yeah, I should do that about crafts, you know, and I, I hadn't even listened to any about crafts or anything because I was not a pioneer like you. Were you the very first, do you think? I well, For artists, because there's some knitting podcasts, and but you're the first craft podcast ever. Yeah, I was the first craft podcast that I know of. That's, that's um, Marie awesome. Ershot is the true pioneer because she started Knitcast uh, several months before I came out with Crafty Pod. Several months. Isn't that hilarious? That, because well, that's an eternity. I know. I know, but that's just hilarious <laughs> to think about this. But, yeah, I went from in December not knowing what a podcast was to January 23rd posting, uh, you know, putting a podcast up on the Internet. And it was kind of strange to think that, you know, how that the whole thing came together um, because it, I, it's like I had this idea, but the, almost the technology wasn't there, <laughs> you know, two years ago to give me this kind of um, media outlet. Well, so I, I want to express 
for the folks that are listening to this interview, and if this is okay, I'll express on your behalf. As yeah, well. sure, sure. Um, that one of the things that drove us to to do this interview and record it was that we would like to provide some insight to people that are thinking about starting a crafty podcast, just based on our experience thus far. So um, I, I wonder if you would tell everyone maybe what was the biggest challenge you overcame as you brought craft sanity to life. Well, I think the biggest challenge was really defining what exactly I was going to do because once I decided, wow, I could do a podcast, it is such a freeing thing because it's, you know, anybody can do it. There's no restrictions. You don't have a boss to propose anything to. You are in charge of what you're doing. And also, though, you have the responsibility of kind of figuring out what direction you're going in. It's a wide open, just, you know, open, uh, an empty canvas for you to paint on. And um, for me, the biggest challenge was, um, well, I think I mentioned a little bit before how I thought at first I was just going to talk. Now, you can imagine now, only asking me a couple questions, how long I go on, and <laughs> the winding, rambling road that is. Uh, I needed to have a little, something a little more, you know, a unif- like I needed a format, and, and I needed to figure out, you know, how I could kind of rein myself in. And I, I um, am a journalist, so I interview people, for a living, and I find that during interviews, when I interview people, I don't talk the whole time. Um, at least I'm really not supposed to be doing that. Um, so I needed that to kind of keep me in line, so I'm asking people questions. And at times with, with Craft Sanity, I'm a little more relaxed, but I figured that format would be better because I wouldn't be just rambling on. It would be me asking questions and extracting a story from somebody. So for me, um, once I had that, and I, that challenge, I got past the challenge of what is my show, and my show has kind of evolved into an interview show. I thought at some point I'd be doing like tutorials and stuff like that, and I found that really I think the thing that I can do best for my listeners is really um, getting another artist or crafter, a writer or a musician or whoever, just a creative person, um, to, to agree to talk to me for about an hour and just extracting a story from them. And I say extracting sounds like such a clinical, you know, scientific thing, but it really isn't. It's just, um, you know, my approach to things. And I think, so for podcasting, I think the biggest challenge um, is just to decide what you're, what you're going to do. And then thankfully, um, my husband, Jeff, is very, um, you know, tech savvy. So I didn't have to overcome the technical aspects of, of the show myself. Um, we kind of both stumbled together through that. And I kind of, kind of said, if you can help me with that, I'll figure out what I'm going to do with this format. So I, I kind of had a crutch uh, you know, in that respect, I didn't have to figure out the technical side of it. And Diane, what about you? I mean, as far as your challenges, um, what was your biggest challenge? Well, my biggest challenge was, this is going to sound corny, but it was learning how to develop a good radio voice. Um, because I have kind of the opposite approach to you, I've always been one of those people that whenever any recording device was turned on in my presence, I would immediately shut up and not say a word. <laughs> and I really wanted to do this, but I felt a lot of just nervousness around the idea of recording things I had to say for posterity. So I'm, I'm very lucky in my choice of partners as well. Um, I happen to live with a former DJ. And so when I was going to start the Spinster Spin podcast, he and I actually sat down and I wrote a little script of what a spinster spin show might look like. And then we literally recorded that thing over and over again. And then he would kind of coach me on, gee, you know, your voice sounds a little rushed here, or maybe you should pause a bit after you say something important to give your audience a chance to grasp it. And just slowly through a lot of iterations of that process, I was able to develop something that I'm comfortable with. The tech was slightly challenging, but, you know, only because it was stuff I was unfamiliar with. Um, again, my, my partner, Caton, was really helpful in just helping me understand how basic the, the equipment and the processes could be to produce audio. And once I had learned that, it was pretty easy to operate. But, yeah, the, the voice stuff was the big, the big challenge for me. Well, it's interesting that you say that because um, now thinking back, I think that for me, it was weird, especially when I was trying to do the, the version of the show where I was just going to talk for a while. <laughs> I mean, I did several, I recorded several things. 
several shows where I thought, oh, yeah, this, but I listened to them and they were just horrible. I, my voice was cracking at times because I would keep recording and not drink water in between. <laughs> so it would sound like I had a very rough night <laughs> or something and I was talking, <laughs> I mean, I was talking in, from a jail cell or something. I mean, it just, it sounded awful. And even though I'm a reporter and I use a tape recorder, you know, quite often, um, I've never had to publish a, I mean, for me, I, I record something, I go back to my office and write a story based on it. I'm never putting my recorded it, interview out there for the public to decide, geez, is she asking good questions? Um, why did she say that? That's pretty ridiculous. You know, it, it, it opens yourself up to, you know, some criticism, and normally only people see my finished written product. And so th- it, was a, it was strange for me in that regard and, and a little unnerving to get used to recording and being part of a, having my voice out there. Because I did not do um, the careful training that you did, and I think that's it's really paid off whatever you've done. And I have no idea what your voice sounded like before you, you know, deliberately made this attempt to to really refine your show. Because I have to say that it just it sounds so professional, and it really I think it really the work you put into it does definitely show. Where I'm kind of a fly by the seat of my pants just because I don't have um, I've, I've overbooked my life basically. But this is really important to me to do this, so I'm thinking I'm going to do it the best I can. But I don't have the time to, you know, go back and, and redo shows and all that. So, um, but geez, I probably could learn a whole lot from uh, the gentleman that you're you're with right now because it's not, how wonderful to have that resource um, to have someone kind of coach you along. Uh, my husband was able to say, "Yeah, that doesn't sound too good," <laughs> and, um, <laughs> you know, kind of. But um, he does help edit me. In fact, this is his dream come true. Um, because I kind of let him, uh, I tape the shows, and then I let him um, kind of you know, clean it up for sound, and we can kind of get back to the technical side later, but it's his dream to be able to edit what I say. You know, he did say this. I said, would you mind doing that? And he started laughing. He's like, are you kidding? He's like, this is my dream. Because <laughs> he's been with me for, you know, approximately a decade now, and um, <laughs> he doesn't have, he's not able to edit me on a daily basis, and by now our, our listeners can probably appreciate <laughs> what a dream for that! <laughs> what a dream come true that is for him. So um, everyone's benefiting in this situation. <laughs> That's <just> hilarious. <laughs> what would you say was the biggest surprise of uh, bringing a podcast into the world for you? Um, I think having people actually listen to it was surprising to me that people would want to listen to it because I kind of came at this thinking. Well, I didn't assume anything. I definitely didn't assume that it would be any good. Um, I didn't. I didn't assume that anyone would listen. I didn't assume that I would have a second episode. <laughs> I, I thought, you know, if I can do this and I'll try it and I'll do it a couple times, and if it totally, absolutely stinks and I'm getting worse instead of better, I will stop and I will spare the world um, this, you know, optional download. I, I won't even make it available to them anymore if it's horrible. So it surprised me that I actually am I'm still podcasting, and it's. Um, I think the best surprise, though, was just um, the the cool people that I've met through the show. Um, and I haven't met them in person, but I, most of my interviews, I've, in fact, all of them so far have been um, long-distance uh, phone um, conversations. But by the end of the conversations, I always feel like I know these people fairly well. And it's really kind of interesting how that happens. And it's such a – I get off the phone, and I'm like, wow, that was really fun, you know. And it's it's like this rush, like, wow, that was really a great time. And um, then to get feedback from people, to people have people say they like my show. Um, I've never I, – I, I never imagined that was going to happen because, like I said, I approached this thinking, well, this is a little out of my comfort zone. I'm going to give it a try. Um, I didn't expect it to work, so I guess the whole thing's surprising that we're even talking now. I never expected to be talking to Sister Diane about my <laughs> about my show um i I never expected that because i you know had listened to your show and i just didn't expect to you know have this conversation so it's been one big happy surprise you know i would agree with that i I think my biggest surprise was was also that anybody would listen (laughs) that uh you know i i kind of thought i'd just put it out there and honestly spinster spin the podcast took a whole year to even get double digit number of listeners and so the fact that that lots of people actually listen to the Crafty Pod was kind of blew me away. And um, the idea that anybody would take the time to tell me they liked the show was amazing as well. The, the day that I saw that Jeffrey Yamaguchi had blogged about the Crafty Pod, 
was insane. I mean, that's like Martha Stewart calling you up at home and asking you for your crab difference. <laughs> I had followed Jeff's work for so long, and then I just couldn't believe that he would even take the time to listen to my little show. But yeah, I would agree with you. It's created wonderful opportunities to meet people, and I would recommend anybody thinking about starting a craft podcast to to just do it because it it broadens your community so much, and it lets you have some of the greatest conversations ever, like we're doing right now. Well, and it, it is so interesting that way because you you connect with people you never imagined that you connect with, and I think that makes the world um, just. I mean, it's so pleasant to be a part of, you know, this whole network of people. And, and I do want to back up for a second, too, and uh, give a little shout-out to Jeffrey Yamaguchi because he also, he was my second interview, and um, God bless him. Um, he, <laughs> he was on my show, and my show was um, just very, very rough, and it still is pretty rough around the edges. And I, I think I'm going to keep it that way, but he was so encouraging, and he responded to me as if I was someone quite important calling to interview him, which is not always the case, you know, when someone's just starting a show. Um, so I think, and he was so encouraging because I was at that point saying, you know, I'm not sure how long, long I'm going to be podcasting. You know, I was really doubting that this whole thing was going to work, but he was very, um, he's very supportive of creative people in general. And so read his book, 52 Projects. Um, <laughs> really Without great. Read yeah. his website. Yeah. Fix.com. We love Jeff. Yeah. Well, and it's and that's the thing too is you're not only meeting Jeff, but um, and and I, when I say meet, this is all on the phone. But I, I think the the connections you forge with people. Um, anybody who's thinking about starting a podcast, you'll be amazed that give yourself a week or two, and you will have connected with people that you never dreamed you would connect with. And um, that's the just the best part. I think is just getting out there, and you don't have to leave your house. You know, but you're forging connections that without the internet and technology as it is, we wouldn't be able to do this. So it really is quite awesome to uh, to be here in 2006 podcasting, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Let's see. So where do you find topics for your show? Where do you find folks to interview? Oh, boy, I find them all over the place. Um, I... Of course, you can find, I mean, I surf around the net to see, you know, what's coming out, what books are coming out, what's going on. Um, but I, I look at my own bookshelf and say, okay, what, who, whose stuff do I like? Like, who, whose work do I like? Um, there's a pattern book I like, a knitting book I like. I'll see, oh, is there anything that's coming out? Um, before Christmas, I bought a, a book, um, of, you know, Knitted Babes and um, by Claire Garland and, made one. I was on maternity leave during that time, so I had time to, to knit a little bit and not have to worry about a day job and um, had great fun with this book. It was so unusual. And I thought, you know, she'd be really interesting to interview. Of course, at the time I bought the book, I was not podcasting, didn't even think I would podcast. Um, so when I started the podcast, I went back and thought, what kind of stuff really floats my boat? What, what makes me happy as far as projects and um, people that I, I'm intrigued by? Um, I have never, I'm not going to obviously, you know, and you probably feel the same way, uh, since no one's paying us to do this, um, and it's not like a very lucrative thing, and it takes a lot of time, um, you're not going to bother to interview someone that you don't like their work, or you don't think they're very interesting, you know, so it's basically, with podcasting, it's it's great, because you kind of follow your own interests, and, um, and the fact that I, I'm interested in every single person I interview, I think makes the show probably more interesting, because for, you know, as a, as a reporter, I can't only do stories that I personally am interested in um, because if someone comes to town and I'm personally not interested in them, I can't tell my editor, well, you know, I'm really not interested. Um, no, thank you. And go sit at my desk. You know, that's really not how it works. So this show is different in the sense that um, I get to be biased in favor of crafts, you know, um, <laughs> and interview whoever I want. And, um, of course, they have to, you know, agree to it too. It's totally optional on their part. But um, I think that it's, I've just kind of, Look, I look everywhere. Um, I found uh, a book uh, in the library. I saw um, the sock, uh, uh, John Murphy's book, um, Stupid Sock Creatures. And I walked past it, kind of caught my eye. I always check out the new book section in the library as I breeze through to turn in my books and saw that sitting there, his book. And I thought, you know, he'd be really interesting to interview. And that's when we had um, the overlap because, meanwhile, you had also interviewed him, and we didn't know that about each other's shows. So, um, and that's actually how we connected. So I think it was a little, um, 
sock creatures brought us together. Um. <laughs> that's right. The sock creatures introduced us. You know, isn't that, I mean, and that's just so silly because, I mean, when else is a sock creature going to introduce people? I mean, you know what I mean? I mean, the whole thing is just it's absolutely hysterical sometimes how how we meet people and get connected, but it's um, it's so fun. It's so fun. I, I, I have just a, a lot of fun doing this. So, And so how do you find your, your guests? Well, many of the same channels. You know, God bless the Internet. <laughs> yeah, really. Rock on to the Internet. Oh, there's just so much. There's just so much material crossing my desk every day, just straight off the net. And, and I do a lot of the same. You know, I, I, every time I'm in a bookstore, I look at all the craft magazines and I look at all the craft books on the shelves. And, you know, I, I don't actually have television service, so I miss out on all the DIY network stuff. But I run a lot of crafty events here in Portland where I live, um, and so I'm often sort of charged with coming up with craft projects for those, and that tends to spark podcast ideas as well. And uh, what's really cool is at this point with CraftyPod, people are actually starting to email me with ideas for topics once in a while. So <laughs> I love that. But oddly, I haven't yet had a, a show week where I looked around and said, oh, my God, I don't know what I'm going to make a show about. Usually it's I have way too many topics, then there's going to be time to record in a year. So it's it's really exciting. Well, I think that's the thing, too, that people can keep in mind, too, when they're planning, if they're thinking about launching a show, is that you won't have to do all the work yourself because you're right. People do, once they get interested in your show and you kind of give people a sense early on of what you're looking for and tell people send me your ideas, they will. And um, that's really great. And that's so fun, too, to open your email and have someone suggest something, and you're like, oh, yeah, that'd be awesome, you know. And it gives you kind of something that wasn't on your list but totally appeals to you as well. So no one has sent me a bad idea, you know. And um, I think because crafters love crafts and art, and we all are kind of geeky about this, because you have to be, you know, way into crafts, I think, to want to listen to audio shows about crafts while you're doing crafts. I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's, some people would think this is complete craft overload, but, um, you know, I personally can never get enough. So, um, There's no such thing as craft overload. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think so, but I think probably some uh, non-crafty folks might, but um, they're not listening to our shows, so who cares, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> well, do you want to talk about, I know you, you brought up, uh, you just mentioned some of the, the projects that you run in Portland, um, but why don't you tell us about some of the, the side projects you have going there in your, your home state? Sure. Um, there are many. I organize the Portland chapter of an organization called Church of Craft, which is actually a worldwide organization. You can go to churchofcraft.org and see their website. It is a real church. I, I actually had to be ordained as a minister in order to take on the Portland group. Now, it's not a church in the way you might think. I don't deliver sermons or uh, give communion or anything. It, it's, it's the essence of a church, and that if you think about what a church does, aside from any particular religious belief system, it's a safe space where people can come together and connect and have some kind of a spiritual renewal. Now, the people who founded Church of Craft really believe that that takes place very naturally when people are being creative. And so a Church of Craft meeting is nothing more than 40 people getting together in a room. Many of them have never met before. Everybody gets down to crafting, and before long, it's this wonderful community. All these people meet each other. They make friends. They make good connections, and it's it's just a wonderful thing. I, I love Church of Craft dearly. Well, I actually heard about Church of Craft through looking at your website, and last night, actually, I'm like, you know, I really want to research this a little more so I know what we're talking about today. And I went to the website and was able to see um, a clip of from a TV sh- from a TV program they had done. Uh, I think it was a New York chapter. There's a little, mm-hmm. um, and it was really interesting because I'm thinking this is like. This isn't the Church of Craft. This is Craft Heaven. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean, that's pretty cool. I mean, all these people are getting together and making. Just some people are knitting. Some people, you know, doing just gluing things together. Um, I mean, it was just really something else. And um, I'm curious about this now. When you tell people that you run a Church of Craft, um, 
what kind of response do you get? Because, I mean, for people who don't understand, do they think it's some kind of cult or something? Or <laughs> how do people react? I get everything from intrigue to revulsion, depending on who I'm speaking to. Yeah, a lot, but, you know, folks folks that have a very strong religious background don't always like the idea of this being a church because it just doesn't match their concept of what a church might be. But, you know, I, I do get a pretty gratifying amount of, you know, very excited response. And the fact that Church of Craft exists, you know, not only in Portland, but in Seattle, New York, San Francisco, Los Angeles, London, Stockholm, Austin, Texas. I mean, they're everywhere. But it started in the U.S., though, right? Yes, started okay. in the U.S. Uh, in 2000, simultaneously in New York and San Fran. And it's just grown and grown, and I think that the fact that it has grown so much really points out that it's a very valid idea. And let me tell you, there's nothing like going to a Church of Craft meeting. It's... It's just so fun and relaxing, and you walk out feeling like you've been on a week's vacation. And you're probably not struggling to remember what the sermon said, because there is no actual sermon. I think a lot of people walk out of church sometimes not quite, you know, now I'm getting us into controversy here. (laughs) (laughs) Now I'm getting, I'm going to get us into trouble. Yes, yes, Jennifer. But no, I think, just to clarify things, though, from what I read, this Church of Craft, in no way is anyone associated with the Church of Craft saying that this should replace your religion. It seems like it's totally supplemental. Correct. Here's a sentence right off the Church of Craft website, which I think sums it up beautifully. Church of Craft holds no formal doctrine other than what each member believes for themselves. All we're there to do is make the safe space for people to come together and have some creative time. And, And there are people that come to the Portland meetings who say to me, this is the only crafting time I get all month long. Wow. Yeah. So that's important to get that, you know, kind of renewal. For it just, I think the, the the process of crafting or working on anything art based, um, it's the the process. I think can be very um, therapeutic for a lot of people. It's very spiritual because they're they're kind of just letting their you're, you're just being so creative and just being open to whatever ideas or um, whatever comes to you. Just going ahead and doing something, and it's the process itself is very interesting. And if you only get one chance a month to do it. Um, that's you know I can imagine that time is very valued by your your do you call them members of the church or how do you <laughs> the Church of Craft term is flock flock okay so it's more of a um, <laughs> fiber based term <laughs> that's very cool and I'm interested uh, do you take an uh, is there any kind of offering like you pass a um, collection plate of some kind and everyone puts some yarn in or something or no you know um, worked really hard to keep it a hundred percent free okay. There's so lucky in that uh, a coffee house here in Portland, uh, Rimsky Corsa Coffee House, donates their space to us to use. And then literally I do everything in my power to make sure that nobody has to spend a dime. If, if someone wants to bring a snack for the group, we always welcome it, but it's optional. Um, if people want to bring craft supplies to share, they're welcome, but that's optional too. You can always just show up and make stuff. And how did what, what, what year did you... Start your because you, you started the chapter in Portland. I did, and let's see, it was uh, two years ago, last October. So I've been at it for two and a half years. How did you decide to do that? I had heard about Church of Craft through Bust Magazine, and thought that's the coolest idea in the whole world. <laughs> I really wish that something like that existed in Portland. And then it took me nearly a full year after that for it to dawn on me as the idea that, hey, uh, if you maybe started it, then it would exist in Portland <laughs> and you could go to meetings. So then you I just really wanted something like that to exist in my town. So you had to get ordained then to do that? I did. Now, that's a simpler process than you might think. There's the Universal Life Church. You can literally go on their website and become ordained online. Do you have to pay to do it? No, you don't. Uh, if you want a fancy certificate of your ordination, you have to pay for that. And if you want to do ministerial things in your own state, you do have to research the laws of the state in order, like if you wanted to perform weddings, for example, you need to make sure you're in compliance with state law to do that. A lot of folks that start side businesses as wedding officiants will get their ordinations through Universal Life Church. I see. Okay. And and did you get um, the official... uh 
all the certifications to do you perform weddings at the Church of Craft or I've done one wedding. The the sister um Diane Craft, yeah. yeah. Well see when you when you get ordained and you take on a Church of Craft flock, yes. they have you come up with a name. So for example, Callie Janoff, who's one of the founders of Church of Craft, she refers to herself as the very esteemed Callie Janoff. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. That's well, it's probably not meant to be hilarious, but that, I love it. Yeah, it's, it's great. And then one of the others is the, like the most reverend Tristy Taylor. I just kind of hit upon Sister Diane as my sort of Church of Craft secret name, and it sticks to me here in Portland. You know, people kind of refer to me as Sister Diane when I go places. So when I started the podcast, it just kind of made sense to use Sister Diane. Yeah, well, I think it's great, and I just wanted to, you know, because you know, people might have, when we hear Sister, we think um, someone who might be a nun. You know, um. <laughs> I've got an email that asked, asked me if I'm a nun. <laughs> yeah, do you get that a lot? On occasion, yeah. Yeah. Well, well, to see, I don't have a lot of extra time, but maybe I'll start a Church of Craft in Grand Rapids. My husband's going to pass out when he hears <laughs> when he hears this. Um, you totally should. Your your philosophy behind your show is so in line with Church of Craft. I think it would be wonderful. Granted, it is it is a little time-consuming, but, you know, down the road maybe. I think you'd be the perfect person to do it. So I talked a little bit about something I do when I'm not podcasting. Why don't you tell us what you do when you're not podcasting? Well, I am um, a mother of two little girls, both under two. Um, so, <laughs> so you can imagine that I spend a lot of time um, – well, I coach my oldest is going to be two at the end of the month, Abby, and she's uh, we're working on potty training. So sometimes I will run from, um, you know, co- coaching, cheering her on uh, to go pee-pee on the potty um, <laughs> to running upstairs to, to get ready to do a pot, you know, to tape a podcast interview. Um, so it's really funny how I switch gears from, you know, um, you know, we're reading The Cat in the Hat, and then I run upstairs. Um, and then uh, Amelia, my youngest, is five months old, and... Um, it's a wonderful experience to be, you know, a mom. And so I have a lot on my plate because I work full-time. I'm a reporter uh, for the Grand Rapids Press in Michigan. So that takes, obviously, that takes a lot of my time because that's a full-time job. Um, I also teach a reporting class um, at the community college here. And that was just kind of a one-semester thing. I'm not sure, um, how, you know, it's, an opportunity came up, so I, I took it to get in there with the students. Um, love working with young people. Um, kind of trying to help train the next generation of journalists, and that's been fun. And um, I think right now I'm, I, I try to get craft whenever I can because I usually bring a small project with me wherever I go. I'm from Metro Detroit, so we do a lot of uh, trips across the state to visit my family, and um, that's two and a half hours of time when, you know, I, I, there's nothing else to do but craft. That, you know, in the passenger seat. Um, <laughs> um, I do a drive occasionally, but a lot of times my husband is just fabulous about driving, so um, I can do something that um, won't be too dangerous. I, I was at one point bringing lap looms in the car, and then I kind of put some thought into that and thought, you know, heaven forbid, you know, if anything happened and we were in an accident, um, if I survived the accident, um, I would certainly puncture the airbag and maybe myself with my loom. So I thought, you know, maybe I need to do something that's a little less, uh, I mean, because I'd be sitting there with like this pretty gigantic little, <laughs> well, they weren't little. I just have a loom, you know, working on a loom with nails sticking out. And I thought that wasn't pretty, you know, all that safe. So um, usually I'm knitting um, and I'm trying to think of what other projects I have. Uh, yeah, right now I have a knitting project. Uh, I'm knitting a dress for my youngest. Um, for Amelia, and it was a dress that I had hoped to complete for Abby, but Abby's now too old for the dress, so I'm trying to finish it for Amelia's six-month photo, so we'll see if we get that done, but um, yeah, so I think I'm interested in sports as well. I like um, swimming and running and and, um, those sorts of things, but right now after, um, with two kids and all the juggling we're doing, I don't get a lot of time to go just run around the block too much, but um, looking forward to summer. The fact that you have two young children and manage to produce a podcast, to me, is miraculous. Because um, I have, you know, one cat, and I can barely get mine out sometimes. <laughs> but I'd, I'd like, maybe we could talk a bit about sort of our differing approaches to podcasting, because that was something that I think we talked about wanting to share with everyone as well, just to make it clear that there is no right or wrong way to approach this new medium, correct? That's correct. I think that your show, obviously, when you know I listened to it, I thought, wow, this is 
It sounds so great. Her voice sounds like she sounds like she could be on NPR. She can fill in for Terry Gross. You know, <laughs> that's why I, I mean, <laughs> um, I mean, very smooth voice and um, very polished. And my show, I will tape my intro and my um, you know my closing thoughts, and I tape them and I try to get them as clean as possible. But I usually tape them on my way out the door to work. I work a Sunday night shift, and I usually will tape them. You know, like probably about. A, you know, half an hour before I have to leave. So I'm always on a short, I, I don't have a lot of extra time for to make it perfect. So I've kind of had to just accept with my show, I'm going to get it out there every week. I'm going to try to make that commitment to everybody. To, they know it will come out every week, but um, obviously there's going to be, the trade-off is it's not going to be perfect. Um, it just It's just not going to happen that way. Um, but I think for people to understand that you can decide, I mean, if there's someone out there who's uh, a perfectionist and really wants to have a show that's just so and they want to come out once a month, that's fine. That's absolutely fine. I mean, you're, as a podcast uh, producer, you get to decide what your content's going to be, how long you're going to spend on it. I mean, some people have like a, a one or two minute show where they just come on there and say something very short and, um, you know, and then they just, that's all they have to say and so they end it. And that's better because if I was just rambling on, I would be talking for hours and I wouldn't be able to end it. So that's why I do the interviews. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's, it's wide open. You can do whatever you want. And if, if people don't like it, they don't have to listen to it, you know. And um, that's the thing about it, too, is that you don't – no one's paying for it. So I think it takes the pressure off a little bit. And hopefully – I have not received any, like, rude comments from anybody. I mean, people have told me there have been some uh, – some issues with links on my website weren't up to speed. And I always appreciate when someone points out, hey, you know, that link didn't work or, um, you know, the sound quality, you know, on a show. And people people have commented and said, oh, I had trouble with this. And I appreciate that so much because sometimes, I mean, I don't, I barely have time to make the show. I don't listen to my own show over and over again. I mean, I'm not going to do that. So it's great to have the feedback. But um, just for people that are thinking about starting it, um, it's a pretty collegial Reception. I mean, the other podcasters are supportive, and for the most part, um, in my experience, it's been very positive with listeners. Um, no one has told me, you know, stop, please stop, you're hurting our ears. You know, um, people have been very positive about it. So um, I think we'd all encourage people to get out there and just, just try it, because you can stop anytime. You know, you don't have to keep going for years and years. You can try it and decide, you know what, I'm going to leave this to Sister Diane, <laughs> because... I don't want to do this anymore. You know, and that's fine. I mean, because it's all optional, and, you know, that's the beauty of it. So how about you? Yeah, I was going to say, with, with podcasting, too, every show you produce is up on the Internet permanently. So even if you stop producing a show, like I haven't put an episode of Spinster Spin up in some time, but, you know, periodically somebody somewhere will discover the show, and they listen to all of the files that are posted on that website, and it's all new to them. You know, it's kind of timeless content. So for however long podcasting works for you, you've produced something that's got value well beyond the period of time you're podcasting. I would really recommend, too, aside from my number one recommendation, which is just make a podcast, take a look at your life and take a look at how much podcast you can reasonably produce. For example, I I do... A lot of post-production on my show, I'll record an interview, and then it generally goes through a pretty extensive edit process, and then I go through and put in music bumpers and intro and outro, and, you know, there's there's quite a lot that happens. And I, when I started the, pod, the podcast, I had to look at what I had time to do, and I had to become comfortable with the fact that a 20 to 25-minute show every two weeks was as much podcast as I could produce and keep up. And I do get email periodically that says, hey, I'd love to see a show every week, or could you make the shows longer? And uh, the answer is, until I no longer need a day job, um, this is where I am. Right, right. But it's, you know, I, 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 would rather, I would rather produce a level of show that I can keep doing and love doing rather than have it become a burden. Because, as Jennifer mentioned, we're not making any money on this. It's completely a labor of love. Well, and I think that that's also the, it's really important because of that, because it's a labor of love, is that you should do a podcast about something you love, or at least something you're very interested in, because if you're doing something that you just, for the sake of having a podcast, 
um, you got to be interested in your subject matter. Otherwise, it would become just, I think, just a, just this burden that you wouldn't want to keep going with it. So it's, I think, kind of assess your life, as you said, kind of look at what are you, you know, not only how much time can you put into it, but what are you really interested in? What are you passionate about? And do the, your podcast about that because um, otherwise it, it would probably be hard to keep it going. Very true. And, and I think, too, it makes sense to look around the podcasting world. You know, listen to a bunch of different podcasts, not all about crafting, but about anything else you like to listen to. Get some idea of how lots of different people approach it and give some thought to how you can be unique within that universe. Well, it's funny. For example, right now, there are, gosh, what, eight, seven or eight knitting podcasts in the world? Oh, yeah, there are a lot. And they all bring something different Different. to the table. So Marie Ershad's show always has these wonderful interviews. But then you take Brenda Dane's show, Cast On, and that's much more of a personality-driven show because she can just, man, that woman can run a microphone. Oh, she sure can. I mean, I love her show. Yeah, I think it's fabulous. Yeah, and so both both have listenership, and so there's room for absolutely everybody to make a podcast out there. It's just a matter of finding the folks that kind of hear the way you talk, if you want to put it that way. Well, and also finding what format suits you, because I could not do a show like Cast On. I tried. I, I mean, I in the privacy of my own home, I never published it, but I tried to do kind of the craft, just me talking. Oh, funny story here and stuff like that. I, I just can't. I can't do that. And she pulls it off so well. So you have to kind of figure out, okay, what what suits you as far as you know? Is it better if you interview people? Is it are you pretty good at running a microphone where you can just kind of move from one segment to the next without having another person on the show with you? Uh, do you want to play music or do you want to you know just keep it all um, you know talking? Um, so yeah, it's it's good to want to conduct interviews. Do you want to maybe share the histories of? different craft materials? Do you want to devote your show to a specific craft, like a whole podcast about decoupage? Right, right. There's there's so many different approaches to it. And so, yeah, I, I would just say there's many, many, many ways into podcasting. And you just have to find the one that suits you and, and run with it. Absolutely. Do you want to you talk a little about, a, about our technical setup? Yeah, sure. Um, uh, yeah, I, I guess I'll I guess I'll go first here. Um, I use uh, at first I was using just an Olympics um, digital voice recorder that I would connect to my computer with a little contraption, or just a Radio Shack uh, recording control little switch that you just set it to record and it plugs into your phone. And so I was recording through the phone initially, and um, and then I decided. Uh, I mean, honestly, I wanted to do this as, as cheaply as possible, um, especially initially because, you know, I didn't know if I was going to be able to continue doing this. Um, so before I invested tons of money, I wanted to, uh, and I haven't invested tons of money now, but I definitely, I didn't want to really spend much at all. So um, I got a, the digital recorder I actually used for my work as a reporter. So um, that wasn't really something, it was something I was going to use anyway, and that was about $100. And the Radio Shack uh, little control switch um, was, I think, about $25. So my initial investment was $125, but real, you can actually do it for free because you can tape through your computer. And I think um, you do you do that. So I'll let you come back to that um, in a second. Um, the program, after I we decided, um, my husband and I decided that um, this is something that we could swing. You know, that I could continue to we can continue to make time for for me to do this. Um, and he would have time to help me with the editing, uh, we decided to invest in a program called Phone Valet. And that's what I'm using to record now. And that program is about $200. And what it does is it balances the voices. So the person, my voice um, is balanced more with the person I'm interviewing because usually the phone makes it sound like the, the person I'm interviewing is further away and so their voice would be quieter. This helps balance that. Um, and... Then the other program that we use, we use um, Audacity to edit the show, and that's free. It's an open source program that you can download from the internet. And then um, there's also Sound Soap, that um, another program called Sound Soap that's about a hundred dollars. But if you buy it packaged with Phone Valet, you can get it cheaper. Um, and that what that does is it will identify 
any um, background hums or weird noises, especially when you're doing a phone interview. And it just helps clean up. You can you can kind of highlight a sound that needs to go if it's a background hum, and it will kind of go through the program or go through your recording and remove help kind of remove those. Um, not completely, but it ma- makes them less noticeable. Those intrusive sounds that are just distracting. And this has been a process that you know I've done eleven shows so far, and it's it's been you know kind of trial and error where you try to figure out what works, what doesn't. You also listen to what other people, you find out what other podcasters use. The last thing I have, um, I have a, I use little earbuds. So I have an earbud in my left ear and um, actually my right ear. I wear a little earbud so I can hear if it's recording. And then I have a headset for a cordless phone that I use and I just wear the headset. So I, my hands are free to shuffle papers on my desk as I do an interview. But um, I don't have a big expensive, you know, recording you know, a headset that you would see in a recording studio. Um, so it's just my laptop's in front of me, and um, I have, like, you know, my cordless phone headset and an earbud to my tape recorder. So that's that's the lowdown on how I run things here. What is your setup like, Diane? You're kind of tricked out compared to me, actually. <laughs> oh, yeah? Well, I think but I think that's good to show. And the only reason that I'm, I have all this stuff is because I'm married to a guy who, is into technology. I would not be doing this. On, I could not do this on my own. I wouldn't know where to find all this stuff because I'm not interested enough in technology to to research it all. So I'd probably be just using my computer. But I think that's important to uh, for people to see the variety of ways you can do this. You know. Oh, absolutely. And if you read about podcasting on the internet on many of the forums, you you hear so much equipment being bandied about. You know, fact of the matter is, I have an iMac, and uh, it. I don't know, maybe five years old, but the model I have and most of the models after it have a built-in microphone that's pretty darn quality. And so I record all the audio through that. In order to do a phone interview, um, literally all I have on my desk right now is a speakerphone, which Jennifer's voice is coming from, and that is recording directly into the Macintosh. Um, then I take that audio, and I also use Audacity to record and edit, and I just think it rocks, and especially as a piece of free software, you cannot beat it. The music I pull in through my iTunes, whether I pull it from a source like GarageBand or from elsewhere, I can download the MP3 and bring it right into Audacity and cut whatever snippet I want out of it. And Audacity burns the show into MP3, and then from there, you put it onto your hosting, and we can get into all of that or not as you want to. You know, the, the tech, honestly, is not difficult. Most people have some basic equipment they can use right